You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. Rock Auto, huge selection, fantastic prices. rockauto.com. So, uh, I hope everyone was okay with that pre-recorded stuff uh, from the previous week. Not a whole ton really broke over the course of the week. We did finally get a few more announced signings. We'll talk about those in terms of the Indians and the uh, the draft. We will talk about the whole thing with the name. And we'll talk about the players who are on the Indians' 55-man roster. Now, that is a lot of information, so this will likely turn into a multi-day podcast. So we're just going to start and see how we break it up as we go through. Before we talk about the two recent signings, let's talk about the undrafted free agent situation. The Indians haven't added anyone more. The Tigers did get off the schneid. They added four players, which puts them in line with the Indians. And one of them, Austin Langworthy, has been kind of a big name at Florida. Another one of those guys who went there and this whole core there at Florida, it's it's an interesting group. There's a lot of guys that were big names who were viewed as, like, Langworthy was supposed to be a first-rounder this year when he was uh, when he showed up on campus and said he's an undrafted free agent. And some of the pitchers, it was just a group of, on the whole who just did not develop as we expected. You get on the athletics managed to sign some, but a few players. The Indians four. There were not a lot of teams that signed less than four. The two obvious ones, the Rays and the Angels, who didn't bother. They didn't get any undrafted free agents. I think that paints a pretty clear picture of two of the owners who maybe didn't want a season this year. Uh, not a huge surprise after the Angels couldn't even be bothered to keep their scouting staff on. But for Artie Moreno with all this money, it's kind of amazing that that uh, <laughs> that is where. It's just it's a short-sighted view, such a short-sighted view because it's such a cheap way to add talent. Dodgers added one, D-backs added two, just quickly scrolling down the list. Pirates only added two, uh, Rockies only added three, Tigers are at four, Twins are at three, White Sox are only two. So not a lot of teams. And then there are teams you look at, like the Yankees that added 10, you know, the Royals added a well-known group of players it's only like seven or eight reds added a ton the red Sox added like 10 players they went crazy the rangers were extremely heavy the phillies were extremely heavy the nationals were extremely heavy Uh, and it is it's just going to benefit you cubs and cardinals uh the astros as well and why do i say it's only going to benefit you it's because when you look at it these guys are twenty thousand each to sign twenty thousand each that is absolutely nothing that's you know, a little bit less than premium senior sign money. Like when you look at what the Indians gave uh, Adam Scott a few years ago, I think he got like 26000 instead he, uh, as a senior, and these guys are getting 20000 now. So, yeah, it's, I think, smart teams took advantage of this, and I think that's what we're seeing right now. And I did want to talk about one undrafted signee, Cody Orr, a name that might be familiar to some people out there. He was a fantastic player at the University of Tiffin, Before that, I want to make sure I get his high school right. I believe it's Rossford in the Toledo area. Yeah, he was a fantastic player there. Uh, Two-way talent, recruited as a shortstop, played outfield, second base, kind of viewed as a guy who could maybe play anywhere on the infield. Uh, Was a fantastic starter, but he was officially signed as an outfielder. Interesting developmental talent, and again, he's an Ohio kid, so I just thought it is fair to talk about the fact that Tiffin, which, you know, not known for their baseball production in general, a program that's yet to produce a major leaguer, and Logan Sendelback, who was uh, drafted in 2015 in the 10th round, was an early draft pick, 
So it, it really stinks for that program, a program that doesn't have that chance to get those eyes, maybe doesn't always get the attention it, one could argue, maybe deserves. Uh, if this had been a full draft or gets drafted, becomes the second player draft in school history, it may be an outside chance, honestly, that he becomes the highest draft pick in school history. Instead, uh, the Astros went out and got him. The Astros scout extremely well. Love him or hate him, have issues with, uh, with the cheating scandal. That is all fair. But you can't argue with their successes scouting and developing. And they liked war. There were a few teams in on him, but you had to take a second and look at. It's fascinating in a way just to think about like Seth Lon's way. He went undrafted from Ohio State. And you know Xavier, Xavier Moore, from who was supposed to go to Ohio State, who was taken uh, as a day three pick and signed. Dylan Dingler, Cody Orr, these are guys who were in that same class. And Lonsway's command scared people off, and we'll see what happens with him next year at Ohio State. Now, I know I'm likely forgetting a few local undrafted free agents, but there are two other players I'll talk about, especially if someone went out of state. I am not always the best at remembering some of the high school kids in the area. Landon Stevens from Hamilton, Ohio in the Cincinnati area, four-year player at the University of Miami, signed with the Atlanta Braves, had a, a really strong season in 2019, would have been a preferred senior sign, I think, this year perfect day three pick you know you're getting a utility infielder who has two years of high production good contact rates strikeout rate is a bit of a concern you'd like that to be lower but the walk rate is there not a lot of I mean power was interestingly kind of nine home runs is not bad in the Mac 21 doubles not necessarily known or thought of as a power guy but still uh getting that opportunity as a senior to play and then another Ohio senior Ty Duvall who went to Vandy uh he was from Cincy played for Lebanon uh, high and he was viewed as maybe the top prospect in the state of Ohio way back in uh, 2016. He was actually drafted last year as a junior in the 25th round by the Oakland Athletics. Just never really got those opportunities. 17 games as a freshman, 31 as a sophomore, did get in 51 as a junior and of course just 16 this year and not 51, 57. And the numbers weren't bad a year ago. High, high walk rates throughout college. Over 18% of the time he walked. Now he also struck out close to 20% of the time. And the power hadn't really emerged. Uh, Not a lot of home runs, very low doubles, not a lot of movement from base to base. But he was known as a hit-first offensive uh, potential catcher. He's going to Seattle as an undrafted free agent. Um, Curious to see how he develops just because, again, he was just one of those guys where it felt like he didn't turn into what we were expecting. Um, what Chandler Day and him, I think, were the top two prospects, and Day was uh, was taken last year uh, later than I think most people expected him when he got to Vandy. But again, it's been interesting. When I started out as a draft writer way back at Scout before they got sold and then before 24-7 got rid of all baseball, you know, I was looking at Vandy in Florida at that point in time. It's like, man, you go there, you develop. It, it's can't miss. Like th- Those are the programs you go to. Since then, those programs, uh, the development hasn't been quite there, and you're seeing a lot of guys like a Ty Duvall, a Chandler Day. Uh, you can go through, you know, the Jake Edders or the Austin Langworthies, and it just hasn't come together quite as you expect. So, it's definitely something to track, definitely something to look at. I think all of this is just a Louisville's benefit, and one might argue Clemson as well. You know, Sam Weatherly had a nice jump this year, and Clemson's had some success, and that's where it's going to come. It's if you're showing as a program, you can develop talent. Uh, players are going to go there. You know, draft records, uh, they know. And most top talent has uh, an advisor. So their advisor also knows that and will help them reach those decisions. But 
we know who the top programs are. We know who's good at development. And so do the players. So it's definitely something to track, something to see. But those are our local players in the undrafted pool. And what feels like it's coming to a conclusion now. I don't think we're going to see too many more announced signings. Talked about at the top of the show, our sponsor today is Rock Auto. Rock Auto is going to give you a fantastic selection, easy to navigate site, and some of the best prices you can find on parts for your car. And remember, when you go to Rock Auto and you use this fantastic service, you're going to want to put in a little, how did you find out about us? Locked on. Heck, even put locked on Indians, maybe make it look a little bit better for uh, your favorite podcast here, or even just a podcast you kind of like and that I appreciate your downloading and listening to. Something you will definitely like, though, is rockauto.com. Again, I know nothing about cars. It's very easy to navigate, very easy to use. Find those pieces. Keep this site as a favorite. Bookmark it. Back pocket. You may not need a piece for your car not right now. You may not need a part for your car now, but in the future you will. And then you can go to the site and make sure you're not being gouged by whoever is selling you your parts and pieces. So rockauto.com. And in the how did you find out about us? Locked on. Locked on Indians even better. So... I had some debates on where we're going to go for the second half of the show today, and I think we'll quickly talk about some of the money things, and then we'll talk about the name, and I'll save Wednesday's show to kind of go deep on the initial 55-man roster out of 60. So let's talk about the two signings that happened um, while I was gone, and that would be Petey Halpin and uh, Milan Tolentino. Petey Halpin's slot was uh, $610,800. He signed for $1.525 million. So more than twice his slot value, uh, basically 150% a slot, which makes sense. He was a second-round value. Uh, he, as of now, has the second-highest signing bonus on the Indians after Carson Tucker, who got that $2 million to sign with the 23rd overall pick. Using the $9 million they saved there, you can uh, almost do an exact matchup. Carson Tucker at 23 is how they got P.D. Halpin at 95. It matches up completely. Like He is 900000 over slot. They, sa- they saved 926000 So you move down 926000 It is almost exact. Uh, Halpin was, what, 915000 So they saved a little bit more. And that extra 11000 uh, you know, $11, is when we talk about uh, Tolentino in a second. But, yeah, Carson Tucker at 23 and the savings there, you can see that's how they get Petey Halpin at 95 They pay him like a you know, high second round talent. And I can see why there is legit five tool ability there. He does everything well, maybe nothing great. Maybe he's just average across the board, but that's a starter. Uh, He can start in center field. He can do a lot of things well, advanced approach. It's easy to see him being successful. The Indians have struggled to produce outfielders. Halpin is a fantastic ad and they don't have a lot of great outfield prospects right now. Calm down. Calm down. I can just hear people going, George Valera. I can hear the shouting uh, already. But who are their top three outfielding prospects when you think about it? And the next guy is even easy as well. That's Daniel Johnson. After that, who are you looking at? Will Benson? I mean, he's really not done enough to for me to have any faith he's going to hit the majors. Uh, Oscar Gonzalez, at least he's up to double A. Kaye Tom, who they left unprotected. For the 40-man, it's not a position of depth. I mean, P.D. Halpin immediately becomes one of their top three outfield prospects to me. Uh, he joins that grouping. He is, like I said, he's a fantastic talent. I think he compares very favorably to Pete Crow Armstrong, who was taken in the first round and signed for $3.359 million. 
So you're looking at twice, more than twice what Halpin cost, and, and Halpin is not half the player that Crow Armstrong is. I think Crow Armstrong's a fantastic talent. I had him amongst my top 20 players. But uh, he got a lot of money, and Halpin is a very close talent who got about half as much. He's a little bit smaller and not as famous, but uh, Halpin's a great addition. Instantly comes with the Indians' top three outfielders. I found it funny with uh, Milan Tolentino that when they talk about all the things with this family, it very rarely gets mentioned that his older brother did spend time in the Indians organization. It was only about a year and a half, but still, he's the second Tolentino to uh, to go through in recent years. And he was his slot was four hundred and sixty thousand dollars. He signed for eight hundred thousand. So that's where some of those savings come in. Uh, a little bit of the savings from Logan Allen, Mason Hickman, and they're going to have to take some savings from Tanner Burns to make this work. Who is who we're still waiting on? Uh, the max I can see offering Tanner Burns, if my math is done right, would be basically 189, or I'm sorry, I messed that up, 1895369 dollars That would be without losing a draft pick. Now, because they haven't signed Burns, they're in this odd situation where if for some reason things fall apart and they don't sign Burns, they will be so far over they would lose their first round pick in a year. So Burns has a ton of leverage right now because of the way they announce these. Burns will get signed. It'll get done. I am curious to see what he gets. The other number to keep in mind is $1,529,400 because that would be essentially what they could spend without paying any additional taxes. Now, the Indians have always... Uh, since this pool system has started, have gone over. They've always spent over the max amount. Um, they've always done a good job of using all that money to add as much talent as possible to the system. But this might be the year where ownership is not willing to pay that. So we'll have to see uh, how much Burns gets. I thought Burns and Logan Allen were very similar graded prospects to me. Uh, Allen got, you know, 1.1 million. Burns... I was talking to someone today who thought that he might be closer to 1.5 than 1.8. Let's put it that way when we talk about the max spent versus what's left. Uh, Tolentino is, you know, another really interesting shortstop. I did not spend a ton of time on him just because I was only looking at top 70 or so guys this year, and he was not in that grouping for me. does a lot of things well. Similarities between him and Carson Tucker are going to come out very easily. It's like, oh, both come from baseball families. Both are shortstops. Both's best uh, offensive tools are hit tool. Uh, both run well, things like that. So those two uh, make a lot of sense. And then you think about what they did last year when they drafted a pair of shortstops early and paid them. And uh, I always want to say Miguel Cairo. It's was it, I'm blank. It's not. Miguel was the dad. Um, but when they signed Miguel Cairo, drafted and signed uh, Miguel Cairo's son and Yordis Valdez who uh, were up the middle guys. Nowhere near the hit, the hit ability that Tucker and Tolentino have shown. But again, what I loved with this draft was just this draft felt like drafting, developing, and scouting all got together. And they picked guys that they were in their wheelhouse. They didn't go out and, and shoot for the moon, but they, they took interesting talents and guys that they have had success developing similar types of players. So I, again, just love this draft. So the name stuff. Okay. There is no good way to talk about the name because the Cleveland Indians, you know, that's what it's been my whole life. And some people are just dyed in the wool. They love the name Indians. They can't imagine things changing. I've never been all that um, caring about the team names. 
uh, for Cleveland. Uh, it's just it's not a big thing for me personally. If it is for you, we're just never going to quite align because that's just not part of my DNA or what I care about. And my knock, you know, it's like you go back to the the Cavs with the Cavaliers. It's like that was just them kind of ripping off someone else and doing a vote in, and it was a very boring name. And that's been my knock on the Indians. And when I wrote on Twitter, it's like my my high school was the Indians. The first school district I taught in in Ohio was the Indians. My first interview for a school district, that school was also the Indians. Like in Ohio, it is like every third school is the Indians. And yes, there were a lot of Indians in Ohio. There aren't any more because we forced them west uh, at various times or our our, uh, ancestors forced them west. Maybe not mine because mine came to turn of the century, but you get my point. We use Indians in all over. It's very common, and in that way, it always felt boring. The whole thing about uh, Louis Sakaloxis, I probably said his name wrong, over the years has proven to be not really uh, a true way that they got their name. That was kind of something that was later added in as a way to justify. I said, for me, if they change the name, it's, it's not going to, to be a, a killer uh, from the perspective that it's just one of those things that I don't have a, a strong emotional tie to. Now, if you do, it is going to be a killer, and I, I understand that, and I understand that just stinks. I decided to kind of you know take it to Twitter, though, and propose this idea. Would you rather that Francisco Lindor never plays another game and they remain the Cleveland Indians, or would you prefer that the Indians never lose another elite free agent and become the, Indian, uh, the Cleveland Coca-Colas, I'm sorry, and we had about 60 people uh, vote in various ways. I sat there and added up the favorites, the responses, all of that stuff. And it came out 88% would rather be the Cleveland Coca-Colas as long as it meant that more money was spent on the team, which I did not expect. I thought it'd be closer to 50-50, but most fans uh, are just kind of tired of the Penny Annie junk and would rather just, hey, sell those naming rights and keep talent let's let's make the roster bigger and a better chance at winning uh so that was interesting to see i hope if they do get a name that it's something interesting and cool uh i think the name change is coming i think that's unavoidable uh people will bring up with the spiders yes it was a national league team that failed so badly it went away uh cy young did begin and spend a good chunk of his career in cleveland but it was with a team that's history isn't actually tied to the cleveland indians with the Cleveland Spiders and the ownership was so bad that it caused them to go away. I saw someone on uh, online, uh, Matt Bretz, who's a you know a good writer in his own right. He talked about how it's just so synonymous with losing. At the same time, I don't think most people uh, who don't have the depth of someone like Matt know that. I, I don't think a lot of people realize that the Spiders had like one of the worst seasons in baseball history, arguably the worst season in baseball history before they folded. I think he's uh, giving other people too much credit for having what is you know his own knowledgeable base but spiders in general is going to be a, a divisive name uh, because people hate spiders uh, the guardians is kind of an interesting idea in terms of stuff there you know cleveland rocks just feels like the song you're just trying to play off of the song which is at this point a little tired in its own right in my opinion uh you know i'm up for seeing some more interesting idea the blues i don't think that does anything for me uh, I do kind of like the idea of going back to the Cleveland Naps, though I think that is also one where um, going from Naps to other things could be a dangerous line um, for people to run with the wrong way, which people will do. 
if there's nothing we have learned from Twitter, it's that people will find the way to take the smallest thing and uh, twist it in their own ways to make it something else. I don't have an answer. I wish I could, you know, sit back and be like, let's name him the Cleveland Jeff Ellis is done. Yeah, that'd be terrible. Uh, I wouldn't want that, let alone anyone else. It's what works. Like I said, we want something original. We want something fun. We want something tied to the city. Uh, you know, what's Cleveland known for at this point? It's still kind of known for a river that caught on fire. You probably don't want to go with that. Known for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think something should be talked about with the city of Cleveland and its long history of progressivism. Uh, yes, this would die great to the fact the team works at Progressive Field, but when you look at Cleveland as its background as a sports city, the Cleveland Browns were one of the first teams to integrate, and when you look at the Bill Willises and the Marion Montleys and players like that, that was the beginning of integration in football. The Cleveland Indians had the first African-American GM in Frank Robinson, and of course we know the story of Larry Doby and being the first African-American player in the American League. As a matter of fact, the Indians, pretty much from the 40s, through the 90s, the only point in time that they were a very strong franchise was when they were one of the few American League teams that were willing to integrate and took advantage of all that talent. They raided the Negro Leagues as quickly as they could to add as many fantastic players as they could. It was a fantastically smart move, and that's when the Indians were able to win championship, win a championship, I should say, in 48, and have an amazing season in 53, is they were smart and they added talent as quickly as they could, knowing that that was going to be the wave of the future. Uh, I mentioned Frank Robinson. You can keep going. It is a city that, sports-wise, has this fantastic progressive history. I don't know. You're not going to call them the Cleveland Progressives. That would just lead to even more issues. There's got to be a way to to honor the city's impact and what it's done. I mean, Cleveland was the first major city with an African-American mayor. It's not just sports, but I think there's a, a... Something to be pointed out and something to be honored as an Indians fan to know, you know, it's not just that they had Larry Doby. It's also that, you know, Frank Robinson was the first African-American manager. It's also about the integration of football, that there is so many fantastic things when it comes to the history of Cleveland sports and of being on the edge of, you know, being progressive, of integration, of going out there and putting fantastic teams on the field and not being afraid of the the negativity that'll come with it i don't have an answer through that but i'd love to see whatever name they end up with kind of honoring that history of being the teams that take chances that stand up for justice cleveland justices doesn't work either i you know hit me up send me an idea send me a way you we could integrate what i feel like is part of the history that really needs to be honored for this city which is you know i've talked about at depth here but is that fantastic history of being a progressive city and of its own fight against racial injustice in sports and otherwise what other names stand out what other ways would be good i know other people just say no indians but uh first i apologize for the yell there and second indians are done like that's not going to be here the name is going to change so let's try and figure out what that next name is. Let's try and figure out a good name. Let's try to start getting momentum towards something that makes sense and something that isn't, you know, the spiders because they were once called the spiders or something that's whatever the heck because it's cool. Cleveland Dragons because everyone just liked Game of Thrones and dragons are in. You know, it's like a decade ago it would have been Cleveland Pirates. 
when, well, obviously not, because there's the Pittsburgh Pirates, but, you know, there was that time where pirates were the cool thing. So let's not pick something because it's the cool thing now. Let's try to find something that, you know, why something like the Guardians would work, because it's tied to the Guardians on the bridge. Let's think about ideas like that. You can hit me up with those ideas on Twitter, at JeffMLBDraft. You can send those ideas to me in email form, uh, Jeff MLB draft at gmail.com. Pretty easy. Find me on Facebook, Jeff Ellis, uh, MLB draft, I believe. I'm sure you're seeing the theme. But uh, yeah, I'll read those on the show and we'll talk about them. Like I said, we're going to get into some 55 man roster later this week. We will continue to talk about what comes up. Hopefully, we'll get a Tanner Burns signing to announce at some point. And I will read ideas for team names because, again, even if the Indians are it for you, the thing is they're not they're not going to be it when it comes to long term a change is coming so let's figure out what that change can be as always you have been fantastic i have been jeff ellis and for now at least go tribe